Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And I'm really excited that my guest today is Charles Rossoff. He is the president of Appraisal Services Associates, a firm of appraisers that provide forensic valuations of fine art, antique, decorative arts, residential, and office contents. And he has been appraising since 1984. He's an accredited senior appraiser designated by the American Society of Appraisers. Mr. Rossoff was also an editor of the annual Supplements Evaluation Strategies in Divorce and Valuing Specific Assets in Divorce, published by Walters Lawyer. Welcome, Charles Rossoff. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. You know, it's so interesting because oftentimes people certainly understand a real estate appraisal. They might understand a business appraisal. So they often then say, like, well, what are we going to do with all this stuff? Collections, artwork, stuff we've accumulated over the years. And oftentimes, frankly, that stuff's not worth that much. You know, 20-year-old IKEA furniture is probably not worth bringing you in for. But can you tell us what an appraisal does and how it works and what's worth appraising? Absolutely. So first of all, I, I, I want to introduce what appraisers do. And technically, appraisers witness identify and value. We closely examine subject properties to identify positive and negative value characteristics, which can include authenticity, title ownership, as well as our ability to research market activity. The properties that we value are fine art, antiques, decorative arts and collectibles. And the problem with matrimonial proceedings and tangible personal property is the enormous amount of emotion imbued within these objects and properties. There is an enormous amount of of, of dissension between parties divorcing because they feel there's sentimental value. So it's, it's a very complex and contentious and difficult area, which if done wrong, really and if done right, settles out very quickly. I think that's absolutely true, that emotional, I mean, frankly, so much about what we do in the divorce world, of course, is about emotions and not so much necessarily about money or that the money is wrapped up in the emotions so tightly and completely that it's hard to tease them apart. And I think that that must really certainly run true in terms of objects. So how do you go about looking at the appraisals, figuring out, and how should people decide, Charles Rossoff, about what is worth having appraised and what's not worth having appraised? So appraisers can be invaluable in a matrimonial action by simplifying and eliminating disputes over evaluations to ensure that both parties can move on to those areas of the divorce that require greatest focus, including children. The majority of my work in matrimonial appraisals is accepted and stipulated by both sides who split my fee in order to quickly settle out that action. 
uh, it's important to hire accredited appraisers very carefully. The valuations for matrimonial equitable distribution are some of the most difficult assignments and exist because of value characteristics. Equitable distribution most efficiently occurs when assets are reduced to their cash equivalents. And if the court disagrees with both sides, the court can order the sides to sell all the property, which we just saw in Maclow v. Maclow. It's very important to first make an inventory with as much information as possible, including photographs. If artworks are hidden, try to reconstruct information regarding them to assist in interrogatories, depositions, and subpoenas. Seek out insurance policies, wills, receipts, and other documentation. Also, document how the artwork entered the marriage. Was it inherited? Did it increase in value? Artwork purchased by both sides during the marriage is marital property. Property brought into the marriage by inheritance and purchase is not marital property, but the appreciation of those assets might just be. If there's a prenuptial agreement that firmly establishes how assets are and are not divided, really understand the intricacies associated with what you have and how it applies. It's also really important to understand that liquidity can be more important than value. Some properties take years to sell and others can be sold in one week. This can create spectacularly inequitable distributions. You must understand that title ownership disputes and authenticity issues can render properties unsaleable. And so it's very important to have documented and, and to find the receipts or do your research to document what you have to ensure that there are no title ownership disputes except with your other party and that there are no authenticity issues. You also very importantly must understand that there is no such thing as sentimental value. It is neither positive nor negative value characteristic. People feel, well, this is really important to me. I really want that, so therefore it must be more valuable. Well, it's more valuable to you, or it's more valuable to the other side. And there, there are different techniques used in order to divide up property to ensure that if someone really wants something, they can get it, and that the other side is remunerated for the value, including if it's sold, going to the auction where it's being sold and bidding at the auction itself. Uh, there are also uh, going back and forth. With, uh, first with a short straw. Whoever picks the shortest straw can go first and choose. It's important to use every tool that you possibly can to ensure that there is equitable distribution. We have to closely examine the objects because condition is a sine qua non or, or, or the most important aspect of the object itself. And so therefore we must examine both the front and back of the object and the inside, if there is an inside, um, if it's framed, many times we ask the, that the objects be unframed in order for multi-million dollar objects that have little documentation so that we can see all the potential positive value characteristics and negative value characteristics of that object. Also, you want to make sure that, um, that you provide all this documentation to the appraiser. The withholding of any information from an appraiser 
can actively distort the valuation process. So it's, it's really paramount that you provide any and all information that may exist on the subject properties to the appraiser. A lot of people think that they'll get a more objective valuation if they withhold information, but actually that's a snare and a delusion. You can consider only that information that's before them, just like a judge in a court. And therefore, it's important that if there is any information, it must be given to the appraiser for the appraiser to consider. There are the objects, fine art objects, are bought and sold within imperfect markets. These markets are of objects that are not identical to each other and that uh, have very small quantities. And sometimes they're sold and sometimes they're not sold. So for the valuation of, of rare fine art and antiques is as much an art as a science. You have valuation science that you apply. You have the three mar approaches to value, market comparison, cost and income approaches. We in personal property use primarily the market comparison because there is no income from a property. And it, the artist is dead. It's not like it can be produced again. And if the artist is still alive, you can go to the artist sometimes and see what it will cost to be produced. So therefore, you can use the cost approach, but very rarely. But once you, you start researching and you realize that one has not sold in five years and that, uh, that there are very small markets that even include the retail market level, that uh, it, it becomes an incredibly difficult valuation assignment. Using the retail market level can distort fair market value valuations because you're considering the retail market level, not the wholesale or auction market level. Most times it does not reflect the amount of money that an individual will get if they try to sell it, and therefore it will, it will create an imperfect equitable distribution. So let me, let me just can, interrupt you right there one second and just yeah, remind yeah. people that they're listening to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. We're here on WBOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30. And we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with Charles Rossoff about valuation of artwork and antiques and other precious items in a divorce setting. And I, I really did have a question for you, Charles Rossoff, about the difference between market value and fair market value, because it was what you could actually sell it for and, and what fair market value is, because I think most of us think those are the same things. So how, how are they different? Because I do know that oftentimes people come in and like, well, I paid, you know, X thousand dollars for that diamond ring. And I know, because just I know that they're not going to be able to sell it for the same amount that they paid for it, sort of like buying a new car, you know, driving it off the lot, and you just can't sell it for what you drove it, what you drove it off the lot for around the corner. So how does that work? And how should people be thinking about that? Because I could imagine that just being rather an alarming idea. This is a highly, <laughs> this, is, this is an area that very few people really truly understand the intricacies of because you're getting into arcane valuation science. Market value is a term taken from real estate. And it is the act, and it considers exposure time, which is the period of time that it takes to sell a piece of real estate. Whereas fair market value is a hypothetical. And it's defined as the price at which an object will exchange hands between a willing buyer and a willing seller both knowledgeable of all relevant facts within a reasonable period of time at arm's length, meaning there are no interested parties doing the buying and selling, no one has an interest, and uh, no one has a motivation, 
and that it is bought or sold in the appropriate and relevant market. And so, and you just listen to this definition and, and you're thinking to yourself, well, what does that mean? It means absolutely nothing. It is, that's, and that's the problem. <laughs> the definition is so arcane as to create issues that, that have to be, where the definitions need definitions. And, and for example, with fair market value, it's very important that it's in the appropriate and relevant market with um, fair market value since the intended use of matrimonial equitable distribution dictates the definition of value. It's important to know and to consider the intended use and the intended user, which are the divorcing parties, and what their needs are, and to create a report that will not be misleading and will promote public trust. And to do that, it's important to consider the definition of value and knowing that equitable distribution between parties most efficiently occurs when assets are reduced to their cash equivalents. Fair market value can become more similar to liquidation orderly value or marketable cash value. Market value, since it's a real estate concept, does not apply to tangible personal property. It is fair market value that does, and it only does because the courts adopted it from taxes. And what's the other thing that separates a fair market value from market value is the fact that when you have a piece of property, the property comes with rights associated with that property. Those rights include your ability to give it away. It comes with your ability to do nothing. It comes with your ability to rent it. It comes with your ability to sell it. It comes with your ability to exhibit it. It comes with your ability to enjoy it. And the concept of fair market value, those rights, that bundle of rights has a value, which is why in tax law, that is considered in fair market value as the buyer's premium or adding the buyer's premium onto the auction sale to arrive at fair market value. It is higher than marketable cash value. It is higher than market value. But the problem is, because it is higher, it can create inequitable distributions. Now, I truly understand that equitable does not mean equal. And it's very, and, and this is another concept that, that it is highly disputed and, high, and, 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 and discussed is the concept of the fact that equitable does not mean equal. But it's important to keep in mind that since, I'm, and again, I'm going to repeat this because it's so important that equitable distribution occurs when assets are reduced to their cash equivalents, that for an appraiser who's stipulated by both sides, so they're paid by both sides 50-50 to examine and produce an appraisal report to assist in the settlement of this specific area of the divorce, that the appraiser use a fair market value that takes into account what the net proceeds will be when the object is sold. So I think what you're saying, I mean, I often like to use the uh, analogy of a fruit bowl. So you have a fruit bowl, and then it's got apples and pears and bananas and grapes. And all of them have a value, but they're not the same. And so when you're talking, Charles Rossoff, about reducing it to a cash value, you're basically saying, let's give everything a cash value so we can compare the apples to the oranges to the bananas and the grapes based on what their cash value is so that we 
are able to look at them a little bit more objectively. Is, is that right? That's an excellent analogy. That that really sums it up. That you want to make objects that are not similar to each other as similar as possible. And the way to do that is to by looking at what the net proceeds will be for the sale. And it's a really interesting idea because earlier on in our in our conversation, you said that sentimental value is not a thing. <laughs> but it is a thing. And 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 here's what I mean. It's not a thing in your world of appraisals. But it's a thing in the world of negotiation. You know, 97% of divorces in New York, right, settle before a judge makes a decision after a trial. And a judge isn't going to put a value on sentimentality. They're just going to say, you right. know what, it's too sentimental. Let's just sell it and split the, the cash value, right? Like, because we can't, right. I don't know what to do with sentimental value. I can't put a number on that. I can't make that, right. compare that to the other fruit in the fruit basket. And yet, and yet, it is important in so many different ways. And and so one thing that you talk about, which is this fallacy, that something that I care about must be valuable in the world, right? So it, if I care about it, and especially if we're arguing over it, so I care about it and you care about it and we're getting divorced, then it must be valuable to somebody else in the world also. And oftentimes we have that, I think the studies show around our homes, that people tend to believe that their homes are worth more than they are, which is a bit of a problem when you go to try to sell it and, and maybe in, in a not so hot market and nobody wants to pay what it is you want to get for it. So that can be just a problem in terms of evening out the balance sheet. If I want it and you want it and I let you have it, then I want you to pay me a premium for my share of it. That's, that's one problem. Is that right? That's correct. And the only way to solve that is by, by educating both sides about the fact that in the reality, while sentimental value is really important and is driving all of this, that actually for valuation point of view and for the court, especially, it doesn't exist. And if you don't want the objects, of, you don't want a forced sale of the object, which can cause it to sell even less than it should because a judge has ordered the sale, you want to be able to give it to what you want one party to be able to get it for an amount of money that's reasonable and commensurate with the market that it's in. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WVOX 1460 AM, alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 5.30, and also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking to Charles Rossoff today about valuation strategies and divorce, and we're talking about personal possessions, objects, artwork. And so, Charles Rossoff, if people want to learn more about what you do or want to get something valued, how, how can they contact you and what's the best thing for them to do? You can reach me whenever you want on my cell phone at 917-887-5217. And if you want to read about me, you can Google Charles Rossoff, R-O-S as in Sam, O-F-F as in Frank Frank, appraiser, and you'll read about my teaching and about my books and about my lectures and about my 34 years of work and about my website, Appraisal Serve, appraisalserv.com. And uh, I'm happy to answer any questions, no matter how small. And if you want, you can even reach me on the weekends or early evenings. 
That's very generous of you, Charles Rosso. So, you know, what are some other myths of value? So I talked about the one where people think, oh, I love, you know, it's my home, so it must be a bit more valuable. But what are some other myths of value that people typically have? Another myth of value is when an artist dies, the property will increase in value because the amount of property will be less. But the truth of the matter is, well, there is all of a sudden there's a tension on this artist that might cause the market to spike a little after a while because of the lack of exhibitions, because of the lack of sales, and because the artist is no longer producing, the market actually decreases and the value lowers in time. So I always tell individuals that if they're trying to get the most amount of money for an object to sell into the death of an artist, when most topical and part of the news cycle and on everyone's minds, people's interests are the greatest, and then they'll get the most amount of money. Unfortunately, it's a myth to think that if you hold on to it, it will only increase in value. So if people are thinking about divorce and they can't always time the, the sale around the death of the artist. What are some valuation strategies in divorce that people might want to think about employing? So if you're selling... I always tell people to see if they can sell in the fall because historically property sells for more in the fall before Christmas when people are buying gifts than it does in the spring and summer. Of course, there are certain sales that occur in the spring and summer that you're obligated to. And of course, there, there are vagaries in the market and, and, and movements of market and, and certain crises that happen that can depress the market such as a tanker being stuck in the Suez Canal or an electrical grid in Texas failing, causing a, a ship shortage or some type, something else that will depress the economy, uh, such as COVID, that will decrease interest in, in what people are paying for for specific areas in tangible personal property. But um, in terms of, of it, and this is where an appraiser will be able to advise you as to what the markets are, where they have been and where they might be going and how to maximize income, which brings me to another myth about rarity. Just because something's rare doesn't mean it has more value as well. In fact, usually it's conversely true. Just because something's rare, while it can sell for a lot of money, don't think that its rarity necessarily will always cause it to be worth more. And also, uh, there's a myth regarding <laughs> it's a myth that keeps I should have made a list of the myths. A myth regarding uh, the fact that um, if you uh, uh, see if you hold on for something for a long time, if you uh, if it's rare, if someone has died, um, oh you know if it's old, it must have greater value. That's an, that's another myth. So there are always myths about people stealing things because there's some collector who wants it and therefore they're stealing it. Well, usually uh, our theft is, is, a, is an action of opportunity by thieves who don't know better and realize that only after they've stolen something that the art, the object is impossible to, to resell because it's provenance is what's so important. Provenance is just a fancy word for past ownership. Provenience is a fancy word for the location in which it's from, um, especially for antiquities. And so uh, these, these are all areas in which your appraiser will be able to advise you and to, to ensure that, one, you can maximize income, two, you can ensure that an equitable distribution has occurred, and three, that you can settle this area out and move on to other areas 
so that you don't spend loads of money, time, and emotion on an area that really might not be as important as, for example, the children. So let me just ask you in our last minute or so, how has the COVID pandemic affected values? And one thing that I've been noticing is that a lot of people have collections, whether or not it's wine or antiquities or historical documents or anything like that. I've been noticing this in a lot of our cases. And what is your understanding of, of whether or not the pandemic has increased or impacted prices at all? This leads me to the next myth. The next myth is just because a specific area of the market is outperforming everything else, it doesn't mean that 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 every area in the art market will outperform everything else. The art market is actually millions of micro markets. You have to think of this in terms of microeconomics, not macroeconomics. And it's very important to understand that you have to consider the specific sets of facts and circumstances that are unique to the object that you have in relation to its value and not try to apply other market activity to it and make broad generalizations about increasing value. All right. We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you, Charles Rosseff. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me.